Welcome to the Staying Ageless podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be chatting about pregnancy again, but this time from the perspective of a midwife. To get this birthing party started, I'm going to give you guys some background on maternal mortality and how this affects Black women in the United States. And later, we will chat with Nafisa Jadawi, a midwife and advanced practice nurse who focuses on women's and maternal health, who will break down more about midwifery, maternal care, and who you need on your birthing team. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe, rate the show, go on and give us some stars, okay? And don't forget to write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback, so reviews are so much appreciated. Okay, y'all, I'm excited today to continue our pregnancy series. So far, I've interviewed a doula, a naturopath, and today we're going to hear from the perspective of a midwife. To start off, I want to talk briefly about an issue affecting Black women, maternal mortality. I'm going to read some quotes from a paper which was published in the Center for Disease Control in September 2019. It was entitled, Racial and Ethnic Disparities Continue in Pregnancy-Related Deaths, It also included data that was extracted from the report called Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Pregnancy-Related Deaths, United States from 2007 to 2016. And these were published in September of 2019. So Black American Indian and Alaska Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. And this disparity increases with age. And this is the researchers from the Centers for the Disease Control. This is what they reported in their Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report. Most pregnancy-related deaths are preventable. Racial and ethnic disparities in pregnancy-related deaths have persisted over time. Pregnancy-related deaths per 100,000 live births, so the pregnancy-related mortality ratio for Black and American Indian women older than 30 was four to five times as high as it was for white women. Even in the states uh, with the lowest pregnancy-related mortality ratios and among women with higher levels of education, significant differences still persist. These findings suggest that the disparity observed in pregnancy-related death for Black and Native women is a complex national problem. The pregnancy-related mortality ratio for Black women with at least a college degree was 5.2 times that of their white counterparts. That is a huge gap. Cardiomyopathy, thrombotic pulmonary embolism, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy contributed to more pregnancy-related deaths among Black women than among white women. Another thing that was in this report, hemorrhage and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy contributed to more pregnancy-related deaths among Native women than white women. A national study of five specific pregnancy complications found a similar prevalence of complications among Black and white women, but a significantly higher case fatality rate among Black women. Studies have also suggested that Black women are more likely than white women to receive obstetric care in hospitals that provide lower quality of care. 
They also address the fact that there is implicit racial bias that has been reported in the healthcare system and can affect patient-provider interactions, treatment decisions, patient adherence to their actual recommendations, and also their health outcomes. And these disparities were persistent and they did not change significantly at all between 2007 to 2008 and 2015 to 2016. There's a large gap there and this still remained the same. Uh, This is from the National Partnership for Women and Families. They say that black women experience more maternal health complications than white women. Black women are more likely to experience complications throughout the course of their pregnancies than white women. And black women are three times more likely to have fibroids, as we talked about, benign tumors that grow in the uterus and can cause postpartum hemorrhaging than white women. And the fibroids occur at younger ages and grow more quickly for black women. Black women also display signs of preeclampsia early in pregnancy than white women. And this condition, which involves high blood pressure during pregnancy, can lead to severe complications, including death, if improperly treated. Um, They also mentioned that black women experience physical weathering, meaning their bodies age faster than white women's due to exposure to chronic stress linked to socioeconomic disadvantage and discrimination over the life course, making pregnancy riskier at an early age. As we all know, stress kills and racism is a a major form of stress in the lives of black women, in addition to many other things. Um, Black serving hospitals tend to, or, or hospitals that are in black neighborhoods, tend to provide lower quality maternal care. 75% of black women giving birth at hospitals that serve predominantly black populations have higher rates of maternal complications than in other hospitals. In these hospitals, they also perform worse on 12 of 15 birth outcomes, including elective deliveries, non-elective cesarean births, and maternal mortality. So what do we do about this, guys? Well, these disparities have to be reduced, and there's, it has to be addressed from so many angles. Um, reducing the disparities is going to require participation of multiple systems to address the factors that are, are, are causing these. So hospitals and he- healthcare systems need to address this in various ways, implementing and standardizing protocols, quality improvement initiatives, especially among facilities that serve dis- proportionately affected communities, so Black populations. Also, there needs to be identification and addressing of the implicit bias in healthcare. And this is something that I deal with all the time daily in my practice because I have to hear stories from my amazing clients about how poorly they were treated in the healthcare system. So we need to improve patient-provider interactions, health communication, and health outcomes. We also need to work to reduce chronic diseases associated with increased risk for pregnancy-related mortality. And so this is is actually just to do with preparation and getting your body ready and actually being healthy before you give birth. So hypertension is a big one in the Black community. It's more prevalent and less controlled in Black women. So dealing with your hypertension prior to birth, getting your diet right, all these things, and also getting the education that you need in order to make these changes. We need to ensure that everyone has access to quality health care, including specialist providers during preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. All of that needs to be covered. And the women who have chronic medical conditions need to be managed properly so that they actually have better outcomes as well. And then, you know, we need, there's all of the really major mammoth systemic factors, right? So gaps in healthcare coverage, lack of preventative care, lack of coordinated healthcare, social services issues, and community factors. I mean, some people don't have transportation for their medical visits. 
inadequate housing. All of these things have also been identified as contributors to pregnancy-related deaths. So as you can see, this is a deep problem. We have to address all of these factors and ensure that pregnant women that are at high risk for complications actually receive care and facilities prepared to provide the required level of specialized care that can actually improve outcomes. All right, y'all, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to chat with our amazing guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest is Nafisa Chidawi. She is the founder and CEO of Wajamama, which consists of a fitness center clinic and in the future will include a birthing center where they provide health education and holistic health services to women and children. Nafisa graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing in 2010. And after working as a registered nurse for two years, she pursued her Master of Science at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where she was trained as a women's health nurse practitioner and certified nurse midwife. After graduating with honors in 2014, she worked as an advanced practice nurse in Baltimore, Maryland, and in D.C., and then she then expanded her scope of practice and trained as a family nurse practitioner at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Upon graduating from her postmaster, she took some time off to have her second child in Costa Rica and plan her practice in Zanzibar. She is currently certified by the American Midwifery Certification Board, the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners, and the National Certification Corporation. Nafisa is excited to finally follow her dream of serving and providing high-quality care to the women, children, and communities in Zanzibar. She has always believed that disease prevention and health promotion should always start with the woman, and that is what her primary focus is at Wajamama. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. It's so exciting. It's such an honor for um, me to be on here. I'm very excited to chat with you. Well, I feel like not talking to you is one step closer to my best life because I've been trying to get to Zanzibar since forever. Like everyone knows that I'm obsessed with Zanzibar and that I really, really want to go to Zanzibar. So it's a beautiful place. I really hope that you make it here. Um, it's especially nice now because, well, on one hand, it's really nice for us who live here because everything is so nice and quiet and nothing is crowded and stuff like that. But at the same time, economically, it's obviously not great for um, our island. But yeah, I hope you get down here at some point. No, I'm, I'm dreaming about it and I intend to. Um, will you just tell us a little bit about, I mean, tell us a little bit about Zanzibar and growing up in Zanzibar just because some people actually may not know where that is. Okay, um, so Zanzibar is an, is an archipelago. It's off the coast of East Africa in Tanzania. 
Um, we are, uh, so basically the archipelago is made up of two main islands. Um, one is Unguja and the other one is Pemba. Um, we have a population of around 1.2 million people. We are a developing nation. Um, and so, you know, when people think about Zanzibar, they think about its beauty and the beaches and um, the perfectly turquoise water and stuff like that. But we actually, um, we have a lot more than that. So like, it's historically like very rich. We always urge people who come to Zanzibar to also look into our history and we have really awesome museums and stuff like that. Um, but on the other hand, it is a poor nation. And so it does come with um, a lot of misfortunes as well, mm. which, which is what brought me back um, to Zanzibar from the US. And so you, and you have a background in nursing. So what shifted you from nursing to focusing really deeply on women's health and then midwifery? So um, that's a really, I'll tell you, I guess I can, I can tell you the medium <laughs> story. Um, so growing up in Zanzibar, I grew up actually with, um, in a house with two, two of the, I think five or six physicians at that time, which is my parents on the whole entire island. And so, and there were no private hospitals at that time. And our apartment where we grew up was basically an emergency room. So a lot of people came oh in. All, yes. Like, um, you know, at crazy times of the night and stuff like that. And so I have um, witnessed a lot of people suffer from a lot of preventable Ill illnesses and stuff like that from a very young age. Um, that being said, so I um, was actually born in the U.S. by accident. And then I moved to Zanzibar. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, and I lived here for my first, first 12 years with my parents. And then at the age of 12, I moved to the U.S. also by accident. But that's a whole nother story. Okay. And so from the time that I was in the U.S., my parents have always lived here. So I always came home for like my holidays and stuff like that. And whenever I came home, I volunteered in different, um, naturally, because my parents were in healthcare, it was mostly in healthcare projects. Um, so by the time that I was in university and I had decided to study nursing because I really liked helping people, you know, at that time I was trying to figure out what area did I want to focus on um, and stuff. So like whenever I came home, I volunteered in different public health projects and there were a lot of maternity health things going on at that time. And so I got pulled into um, maternal health and stuff like that a lot. And I witnessed a lot of women suffer. Um, uh, during childbirth, especially. And I witnessed a lot of things that were missed and a lot of abuse as well towards women, um, you know, during childbirth. And so whenever I went back to the U S like I could not get that out of my head. I always thought about that. Um, and so finally, when I did my, you know, when at that time I was doing my, um, bachelor's of science in nursing, at the University of Massachusetts. And so by the time that I did my maternal health rotation, I was like, wow, like what a difference, right? Like what the services that are available for women in the U.S. versus what the women have to go through here. Um, and I just saw like, I mean, obviously our system in the U.S. isn't far from perfect. Yeah. But like just seeing the contrast between the two places really, really, um, and just thinking about all the women that, you know, passed away during childbirth and all the babies that, that, you know, people lost and how much families suffer 
um, when it comes to maternal health and childbirth. That just, you know, I naturally I was just like, okay, I have to go into women's health um, because women, you know, I, I've witnessed so many women suffer, but also that is where life starts. And so if you look at a um, developing nation like ours, you know, we're all we're always thinking about where do we start? Where do we begin? Like in terms of like breaking the cycle of um, disease and um, poverty and stuff like that. And so to me, after witnessing all those women suffer, after witnessing all those babies lost, plus the public health model that I became obsessed with um, after witnessing so many people suffer in general from preventable um, illnesses, I couldn't help but um, become really, really, really passionate about women's health. Um, and so my goal was to always go into women's health so that I can come back to Zanzibar and give back to my community and see what I, you know, try my best to help um, the women of Zanzibar. Wow. Wow. Super cool. Um, can you talk a little bit about the differences you've seen from U.S. healthcare and and what happens in Zanzibar? The reason why I want you to talk about this is because Honestly, we already know that African Americans get treated differently in U.S. healthcare, and so there's a high, you know, African American women have a high mortality rate as well. But then when you like, I think that people here also forget that there are other places <laughs> where there's so much less support. And so I just want to like kind of, kind of see what you saw as like some of the major disparities or differences. Well, I think that like, you know, it's, you can't really, you can compare the two, but at the same time you can't. So like, for example, in the U.S. healthcare system, I worked with populations that are more um, upper middle class and um, more Caucasian. So I worked with those populations and I worked in Baltimore as well, where I worked with, um, you know, underserved women, like high, high risk pregnancies because of you know, all, everything that comes with being black in America and stuff like that to begin with. And in terms of the U.S., it was very obvious to me, like between um, the two population, you know, the the, diff- the care that the white women got um, in the practice that I worked in that served mainly um, Caucasians versus like the care that women were getting in Baltimore for multiple different reasons. And then, of course, you come to Zanzibar where it's like, uh, like, it's really like, I mean, the, the, matern- the, the public, the main maternity word here, that when I think about it, it's really like, it's, it's not nice. Like, it's filthy. Like, it's, it's not a oh. nice to give birth. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't do it myself, but it's really difficult to compare the two. Because for, when you look at the U.S. with all the resources that we have, with all the money that we pump towards like prolonging life, even if people's quality of life is low and stuff like that, I think that we can do better. We can do a lot better. We have the resources to do so much better for everyone. Um, I think that in the U.S. we don't prioritize um, primary care and public health um, as a role, and we particularly do not prioritize women of color and people who, you know, we don't prioritize in, in, in communities that are um, black in general. Um, when it, if yeah. you look at education, if you look at our healthcare system um, and so on. In this part of the world, on the other hand, um, it's really more like 
it's we don't have the resources. It's lack of infrastructure as well. The infrastructure, we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the resources. We're extremely limited. But at the same time, like I think the biggest thing is the education system. So like, mm-hmm. you know, for example, I had two home births myself. So like my babies were both, both born at home. One was born in Washington, D.C. at home. The other one was born in Costa Rica in the middle of nowhere, like in the mountains of Costa Rica, um, which was like the most perfect birth ever, actually. Awesome. And um, all of this to say that like you don't need that much infrastructure or resources to have a beautiful birth. But I had a really supportive team. Like my midwife was extremely well um, trained and stuff like that. And like I, this is where, um, you know, I think we, we lack that as um, a lot in Zanzibar. As, um, and I also noticed that like in Zanzibar, like when you look at our medical practitioners and our nursing and stuff like that, we, I don't think um, medical ethics is really a part of our training. And it's a part of our training in the U.S. I think it's a matter of in infrastructure and resources and stuff like that, but also the training and the lack of accountability and stuff like that. So it's like our whole entire system in this part of the world just needs work. Whereas yeah. in the U.S., we can do better. We're just not doing better for certain populations. Yeah, it's biased. So it's just like, you know, <laughs> okay, got you. Okay, got you. Um, can you break down what is a midwife? So I've spoken to a doula. I've spoken to a naturopath. And I want to like hit pregnancy from all these different angles. I have pregnant clients right now. So I feel like I'm pregnant, even though I'm not. Um, <laughs> and I want you to break down for people what is a midwife and why we would consider working with one. Okay, um, that's a really good question. So midwifery, there are many different types of midwives, right? Like you have CPMs, which are, we, um, they are certified professional midwives. And then in this part of the world, you also have traditional birth attendants. You have certified midwives and then you have certified nurse midwives. So all of these letters, it's just a matter of like um, how much educate, like what route. It, in the end, like I think we mostly all do... Um, a similar thing that like we support women um, during birth. We really try to promote um, natural birth and like we're very much against like unnecessary interventions and stuff like that. So I'm a certified nurse midwife. I was trained at master's level and, um, you know, I can work in hospitals. I can work in home, you know, I can do home births. I can do birth center births and so on. I can prescribe. I can work in the clinic. But what really attracted me to midwifery in general, and I think um, I don't really know like details to um, regarding like the CPM route, for example. But I know that like most midwives that I've spoken to in general, whether they're CPMs, whether they're CNMs, whether they're CMs, and um, etc., we all want the same thing. So like low interventions, super support, like you know, want to stay by the woman's side at all, at all times, um, and we promote birth as the na- as a natural physiological process rather than looking at it like there's a problem, like we must intervene, we must fix it. You know, this woman hasn't given birth in this many hours and so we must inter- intervene. Mm-hmm. I think in general is more like, okay, like let's 
let's support this natural process. Um, how can we help this woman uh, get through like each stage of labor and stuff like that as much as possible um, without interventions? So I really like that about, about midwifery. And I think to me, that's what midwifery is. But it's also just like being with women for a lifetime, right? So like you have midwives who um, deliver babies and then you have midwives who just work in clinics um, providing basically GYN um, and postpartum, prenatal, um, preconception care as well. But I think that like the motto is that we're with women for a lifetime. So mm. like we're, we're there to support women. We're there to support normal physiological processes that women go through throughout their lives. So that's what midwifery is to me. Okay, that's awesome. What are some of the unnecessary interventions you were just men- mentioning that that you feel like happen a lot during birth that aren't necessarily necessary? I think that um, human beings, like we've really evolved to like, okay, like hurry up, everything has to move fast and everything has to be like controlled and moved, you know, it has to move on our time and stuff like that. And so I see that I saw this in the US. I see it here. We love to accelerate labor. Like it has to go faster. You know, mm. don't. I think we forget that each person's body is different. Your labor may progress very differently from my labor. And even when I look at my own labors, like with my two babies, my first one was about 12 hours long. My second one was two and a half hours long. And wow. so. Each pregnancy is different. All of our bodies are different. And it's extremely important for um, healthcare providers to really understand that and just let our body, you know, the body do its thing and not finick with labor and birth. But instead, a lot of times we put women on a timer. Mm. You have not progressed in this many hours, even though you and your baby are perfectly fine. But let's right. this to like accelerate it. And so I see, I saw a lot of that. And unfortunately, whenever you finick with nature and um, not whenever, but like, you know, sometimes when you um, get in the way of labor and birth and you and, you know, we intervene, then that also increases um, our chances of um, the women's chances of having procedures like a C-section and stuff. So, you know, I've seen this thankfully in some way like the U.S., we have methods of identifying when um like, for example, when we give Pitocin, right, like during labor to make it go faster in the U.S., we have methods of um, assessing to see to make sure that the woman and her baby are fine. and They're tolerating it. OK, but you come to Zanzibar where it's like we're upping Pitocin. And in the U.S., we're, we're really increasing it little by little by little at a time. You come to Zanzibar and we're just like, yes, let's push that Pitocin. But we have no fetal monitors nobody's monitoring the women. So we, you know, things, rare things that don't really happen in the U S for example, uterine ruptures are extremely common oh. here. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, and how does that happen? The uterine rupture, it can happen via multiple different um, ways, but like, in ter- like when, if you look at something like Pitocin, it's really just overstimulating the uterus. Ah, yeah. Wow. It's really interesting that like, you know, in both cultures, we are all about like, hurry up, we got to get moving. Um, But I think that I think that that's very male energy, though, right? And then it's like the birthing process is like the most female thing ever. 
It's like it's un- it should be uncontrolled and just wild. <laughs> but instead, we're like trying to like make it measurable, you know, exactly. kind of like the nine to five clock and how yeah. it is also and how it's not really meant for us. Yeah, no. So true. I think our so world in general is very like male driven. No, totally. So when it comes to maternal mortality, like some, what are the, some of the things, tell us about your clinic or your wellness center and some of the things that you guys are doing to prevent maternal mortality and provide education and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, when I was much younger, um, I dreamt of like coming back and working at the public hospital and um, this was when I was much more naive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> going in there and like basically tackling that beast. But then as I grew up, I realized, okay, like this, you know, working in this system that's completely broken and that re- completely needs to be fixed from bottom up, like is impossible. Like you can't, you know, it's an impossible system. So like for me, it was extremely important to come in and rather than working at the systemic level, it was extremely important for me to empower the women themselves with knowledge um, and also, you know, basically um, uh, prevent illnesses in general from a very young age. So um, through our wellness center, we are, we, so we provide holistic healthcare services. Um, and by holistic, I mean, you know, you're not just coming in, I'm not just prescribing, but I'm looking at like, what are you doing diet wise? What are you eating? How much exercise do you have? How are you taking taking care of your mental health and your physical body and all that stuff from a very young age, hoping that like, if you're starting off healthy, then you're probably hopefully going to have a healthy pregnancy. And by the time you're pregnant, you would have already picked up all these healthy habits that you then continue throughout your pregnancy and during the postpartum period, etc which will then prevent complications Mm. one way. Okay. I'm really trying my best to encourage preconception care just so that I'm again, getting women on their healthcare, like, you know, health and wellness journeys before they get pregnant. But then for the women who who come see me by the, um, you know, by the time they are pregnant already, we try our best to provide like childbirth education and just, guiding them throughout their pregnancies, um, talking about warning signs and symptoms so that they come in to talk to us sooner rather than later, and also um, providing anticipatory um, guidance. So like, so that they understand, okay, when you go to the hospital, when you're in labor, here's what's going to happen and this and this and that, because um, one way, one simple way to um, avoid complications is to really provide the mental support to the women. So like here, um, women have to labor um, and give birth by themselves with no support systems. They basically just go into the labor and delivery unit. um, And one unit may have like 50 beds. Sometimes the women are like, you know, I've seen three women in one twin size bed laboring at the same time, sometimes sitting in each other's pool. Like it's, it's really, Oh my God. You know, it's really crazy. And so like they go in there, imagine being like a first time mom and going in and there are all these like women around you who are laboring who also don't really understand what's going on and stuff like that and um, how overwhelming that can be. And the stress that that can cause um, can also cause complications, of course. It can prolong labor um, and so on. Um, and so for us, like we really, really, really try our best to empower the women themselves 
so that like by the time they're going into labor, A, we've worked hard to, uh, to avoid complications by making sure they're the healthiest possible. And yeah. two, they're meant to be prepared for labor and birth. You know, three, like even things like stay at home for as long as possible. And then like when you get to this stage, then go to the hospital um, and give birth and stuff like that. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. So we have a clinic um, and then we also have a fitness center. So before we started, um, there were no dedicated spaces for women for physical fitness, which was a big deal. Yes, because I didn't want to come home and like start preaching, um, hey, you need to exercise. This is extremely important. But then like, and this is a pretty conservative society. We're 99% Muslims. And I didn't want to come and preach that, but without them having like a safe space for them to go and exercise. So we have a fitness center, we have our clinic, but then we also do a lot of workshops. So this is like childbirth education, breastfeeding education, you know, reproductive health education so that women understand their bodies from a really young age. So that's where we are now. And so really like we're working extremely hard at the community level so that people are as healthy as possible in general, but our next steps um, we're looking into hopefully um, building a birth center as well so that we have the midwifery option, like the true, I mean, there are midwives here, but like the true midwifery option, um, you know, international standard midwifery option here as well, because the women of Zanzibar deserve that. I mean, every woman deserves it, right? Yeah. Those are our next steps. Wow. We're not there yet. So we're only a year old. Okay. And the the lack of physical fitness in Zanzibar for women was more to do with the the Muslim society. Is that really what's going on there? Why did it take so long? Um, I think like what you were saying, like it's a very uh, man driven uh, world here as well. Okay. And I think there are a lot of these like women exercising in general and just like taking part in sports is a, it's pretty new in this part of the world. Um, For example, I was growing up, I was always the only girl playing soccer because I was a tomboy. So like the only girl playing with the boys and stuff like that. And, you know, I was labeled all sorts of ways. Wow. Um, And so, and for example, or even like when you're pregnant, you're told you can't exercise. You're supposed to just like sit on the couch and basically just, you know, don't disturb your pregnancy. So this is a pretty new um, area for us in Zanzibar. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, women have really been, have, have not been taking part in physical fitness and stuff um, historically. And so, but we, we are seeing that change. Like it's so cool at Wajamama, um, you know, now seeing, you know, our space is a truly like women only space. And so it's really awesome just seeing women come in with their barkas and like, you know, with their hijabs or whatever. And they come in and everybody just removes everything. And um, you can't tell a difference between like a Westernized person or um, a local and stuff. And everybody's just super comfortable. That's wonderful. If a woman had all the resources in the world, (laughs) What would you say would be the imperatives for people to be on her birthing team? I think the idea, so my birth in Costa Rica was the perfect, honestly, for me, like, (laughs) uh, I feel, and, and actually that's what pushed me over the edge and like told me, okay, you have to go home because really when I think about the perfect birth, that was a perfect birth. So I had my husband, Mm -hmm. I had my midwife, my certified nurse midwife, I had my doula, Okay. also there like helping um whenever you know 
something was needed, like bring a Coke. She needs more water or something like she was there in the background. My son was inside sleeping and he woke up right on time after the baby was born. And honestly, that's the ideal. Um, and then my father-in-law was downstairs, but he wasn't really like, obviously, um, you know, directly involved with um, the labor and birth. But like, I think that was, to me, that was a perfect team. Same with my, my son. It was just me, my husband, um, and our two midwives. That's it. Small, okay. supportive. Everybody was there for a purpose. Nobody was just sitting there waiting. Right. Because that also can put pressure on the woman and when you, you know, in right. the timer. Um, so that to me was a, really a, was a perfect team. That's awesome. Um, and, and with that team, if you have a doula and a midwife, in what ways do the doula and midwife overlap or not overlap? That I'm not clear on. So um, it depends. You know, it's always different. It really depends on... Um, on the practice that you're with, it, it depends on your situation. It depends on the doula. It depends on the midwife. Um, all in all, they're both there to support the woman. Um, usually the doula takes, I, I wouldn't say more supportive, but they, they take more of like, okay, like as soon as you're in labor for some doula, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm massaging you. I'm just really there to completely support all of your needs. Some people feel like, okay, I need that. Some people feel like, you know what? My husband could do that and he can be my doula and he can be completely supportive and there with me at all times. So it just depends on the person, but that your, your doula is there to support you fully, just is there for you. to And you, they even have like postpartum doulas um, and yeah. like to be there to support your needs. The midwife um, is more there to make sure that your baby is arriving um, in safe hands and also if there are complications and they're intervening, if you need medications, they're there to prescribe medications and um, stuff. So, you know, the mid the midwife is more of your medical provider. Your okay. Is more there as a supportive personnel, I guess. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's awesome. That is really awesome. I appreciate that breakdown. No, this has been so informative. Uh, is there any, are there any, I guess, last tips or, or things that you can think of that you would tell someone who's getting ready to give birth? Maybe they're in the third trimester going into the fourth trimester. It's extremely important, like going back to what you asked regarding what is the ideal team. Yeah. It's extremely, extremely important to really think about like, who do you want there for your um, labor and birth? Because I've seen situations where people are like, oh, I want my mom there. Oh, I want my family there. Of course I want my family there. And then like, it just, you know, um, depending on what kind of, for example, like for women who choose to give birth at home or at a birth center, if you have people around who have questions about your choices then that can really get in the way of your labor and birth. And so it's extremely mm. important to choose wisely who you have around you. It has to be positive energy only. It has mm. to be people who are completely supportive of um, your choices and, um, you know, whatever your birth plan is. Mm-hmm. I would say um, women should also have a birth plan, even if, you know, especially if you're going into a hospital, you should have a birth plan. But at the same time, um, you know, understand that during labor and birth, it's, it's, it, it can be completely unpredictable. Things happen. Yeah. Um, 
being a little bit flexible and then just making sure that like you and your um, medical provider uh, or whether it's, it's a midwife or it's your OBGYN or whomever to make sure that you're on the same page way before labor. So like you really have to go around and interview the people who are going to be there for you and who are going to be um, delivering your baby and stuff like that and supporting you throughout labor. So just making sure that like you have the right team, like whether it's a doula, whether it's a midwife, you have to vibe. Same with your friends, you know, yeah. you have to vibe. It's the same thing with your doula and your midwife and your OBGYN. I love it. Thank you so much, Nafisa. Where can people find more about you and about your wellness center? So our wellness center is called Waja Mama. Um, on Instagram, it's Waja Mama underscore Zanzibar. That's W-A-J-A-J-M-A-M-A, which stands for Watoto, um, which is children in Swahili, uh, Jami, community in Swahili, and Mama. Um, and so our mission is to empower women, children, and communities in Zanzibar through health promotion and disease prevention. Um, so you can find us on Instagram. You can also find Wajamama on Facebook um, and our website, which is www.wajamama.com. And then there you can read more about why I came back to Zanzibar um, and stuff and, um, you know, all about and find out all about um, Wajamama and what we do. Love it. I appreciate you so much. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Amazing. So God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really looking forward to having you in Zanzibar someday and um, welcome you to Wajamama. Maybe you can come and do a workshop about um, nutrition. Child, sign me up. I will buy a plane. <laughs> like I have to get out of here. <laughs> sign me up. It is time to take some questions from Instagram and email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, or respond to the call for questions on my profile at The Raw Girl on Instagram, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today, we have a question from Devin underscore Danielle. She says, Dear Raw Girl, I'm highly allergic to mushrooms. Do you have any suggestions for substitutes? Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for reaching out. I would actually need to know a little bit more about you in order to fully answer that question. The reason why I say that is because I'm not sure what you mean by allergy, but it's possible to have certain health imbalances that would actually contribute to you being very sensitive to mushrooms. Uh, One that immediately comes to mind is candida overgrowth. So if you have other symptoms like maldigestion, gas, white coating on your tongue, any other food sensitivities cropping up, may want to meet with a health practitioner to get to the bottom of it and see if you did a cleanse, if all of a sudden your response to mushrooms changed, which has happened to people. If you are truly allergic to mushrooms, then substitutes would depend on what kind of diet you have. On a plant-based diet, it's really kind of difficult to find a actual and natural replacement for mushrooms. (laughs) Mushrooms are often in a plant-based diet used as meat substitutes or add-ons to dishes. And there are amazing mushrooms out there like shiitake, which is one of my favorites that provide B vitamins or help to boost our immune support. If you are actually truly allergic, finding something that isn't processed that mimics a mushroom, again, as I just said, it would be pretty difficult. 
So it would be more about you adding in more protein substitutes or meat-like substitutes if you were on a plant-based diet. So things like tofu, if you can actually tolerate soy, I personally cannot. And I have a lot of clients who cannot. So I have tried and loved pumfu, which is a pumpkin seed-based alternative. You can add things in your diet like nuts, seeds, hemp seeds, which also have a great deal of protein, sprouts, peas, or pea protein, which you'll find in a lot of plant-based supplement powders. Basically, and generally, you would just be focusing on just getting a well-rounded, balanced diet, and you just exclude the mushrooms. Because unfortunately, child, I don't know if they have a fake mushroom out there, but if they did, I wouldn't eat it. (laughs) I hope this helps you. All right. It is time to close out the show. Hopefully this show has inspired you if you are pregnant or considering pregnancy to equip yourself with the information and a team around you that could literally save your life. If you know anyone who needs this information, please forward this episode along with the other episodes from this podcast about pregnancy. Um, There's so much more work that needs to be done around maternal health and improving the healthcare disparities for black women. And I really hope and pray that one day it actually does come to pass. But for now, what we can do is start by making sure that we educate ourselves and we have more discussions about these issues. In the words of John Stevenson, a mother does not become pregnant in order to provide employment to medical people. Giving birth is an ecstatic, jubilant adventure, not available to males. It's a woman's crowning creative experience of a lifetime. I'm wishing all of the pregnant mamas an ecstatic and peaceful experience in which you are cared for and protected during your birthing process. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at The Raw Girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit our website, stayingagelessshow.com. Mm-hmm.